Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. So I wanted to talk to you today about the July market update, and I want to bring you up to speed on what I've been seeing in the real estate market as a sponsor, as an owner, as an operator of multifamily properties. So I'm going to start, like always, by talking about what I see in, you know, when it comes to our properties, the properties that we manage, and then move and talk about the second phase where I'm going to talk about what do I see in the market in general. So when it comes to our properties, the first thing that we've noticed in July is an increase in foot traffic. And what I mean by increase in foot traffic is basically that we've seen more and more new tenants asking to rent an apartment in the second part of March and then April almost nobody came and asked for a new apartment to rent. And so we were focused on mainly maintaining our current tenants. And the main focus was to renew the leases. But now since May, June, and especially July, every month we've seen an increase in food traffic. We have more and more tenants asking to see an, a vacant apartment that they want to move into, signing leases. And that's because the states have been reopening and they have been receiving stimulus checks and unemployment, or they have been rehired by their employer. So all these things really created a lot of, I should say, trust in the system. And also the view of the economy has been a little bit more positive by tenants who feel more comfortable to go out and move an apartment and, you know, relocate and move and basically move to our property. So that's the first thing we've seen an increase in foot traffic. Now, the second thing that we have been doing at our properties is changing the way we look at renewals. So obviously, you know, renewals are very, very important at every year, every stage of the real estate cycle, but especially in a downturn or a pandemic, obviously. And so during March, April, in May, and part of June, we have been offering our current tenants, once their lease is up, to basically renew their leases. And the one way for us to really push those renewal rates were to offer a renewal at a 0% increase in rents, which means you've been paying $1,000 a year for this rent, for this two-bedroom apartment rent. Why don't you renew it now for 12 more months? And we'll keep your rents flat for the next 12 months. And we've been doing that because we wanted to make sure that, you know, we have enough cash flow, that the properties are going to be highly occupied. We didn't want to deal with a lower cash flow and lower occupancy for obvious reasons. 
And now because our properties are actually very you know, well-performing and we, for the most part, we have very high occupancy, now we started to increase the renewal rates. So we are renewing the contracts, the leases, and increasing rents by 3 to 4%. And we always like to try things and then see how tenants are reacting and then amend our approach accordingly. So now we're pushing rents between 3 and 4%. We see almost no pushback. So tenants are happy to stay there. They're happy to renew the lease. Maybe they're not happy about a 4% rent increase, but they are paying the new rents. And that's huge because it means that, you know, the multifamily is a solid type of investment. And especially if, if you buy in the right market, you know, market that the tenant base there can support rent increases. So this is what has changed in some part of June and mainly in July. We are renewing the leases and with a three to four percent rent increases. Now, usually, you know, prior to COVID, I would say our renewal rate was around 60%. During COVID, it went up to 80 to 100%, which means every month when tenants' leases were basically over, the 12-month period was over, then between 80 to 100% of the tenants that month were renewing their leases. So we still maintain about 80% now, but we're getting that with 3 to 4% rent increases. And we're going to you know, watch and see what happens. If we get a lot of pushbacks, if tenants are going to start leaving and it's going to be hard for us to bring new tenants to fill up their place and rent the new unit, or the unit is the same, but if they're going to take over the unit and we will be able to lease it at five or seven or eight or 10% rent increases, then it would make sense to keep doing that. But if we see that tenants are basically not renewing their leases because of the three to 4% rent increase, and it's hard for us to bring a new tenant, then we'll adjust again. So there's always a way to not be afraid to say, hey, let's take two weeks. Let's push the rents and see what happens. And based on the feedback that we're getting from tenants, and it could be different feedback in different markets and in different properties, then we're adjusting, but we're not keeping it just flat out of fear or concern and have, you know, this, these unrealized gains that we can basically make. And so right now, this is what we're doing. And so far, it has been working well. Now, in many states, unemployment benefits have been extended, and that really impacts our tenants and their ability to actually pay rent. So Texas and Florida are one of those states that have basically extended unemployment. And that's one good thing that we see. This is what basically drives more traffic to our properties. This is what allows tenants to, you know, pay the slightly higher rent because you have to remember there's an inflation obviously. And so, and you have expenses in every year, the property is older. And so every year you're supposed to have a slight increase in expenses. So there's a reason why we're increasing rents. So far, that's what we have seen in our properties. During July, the rent collections have stayed stable at 95 to 99%, depending on the property and depending on the market. And bad debt, which means, you know, that's the delinquencies, it's still slightly higher than we've seen before COVID. But July numbers are a little bit better than April, May, and June. So we definitely see a positive path and a positive trend 
when it comes to managing our properties. Now, I want to talk about what I see in the market because this is really interesting. Not that what's happening in my properties, not that that's not interesting, but I think, you know, understanding what's happening in the market is really important. So during July, we've seen a little bit more deals in the market, not much more. We, we don't experience a flood of deals, but every month since April, you know, April was a complete stop of almost 100% of deals. Then slowly every month since then, we see more and more deals. And during July, we really saw a big spike in the number of deals we see in the market. The deals that we see right now and the deals that are closing, the closing are either at the same price pre-COVID or at a moderate 1% to maybe 3% price cuts. Every here and there, I hear about or see a deal that was basically closed at about 5% price cuts, but this is not very, very common because every month that has passed since April, we saw that the multifamily has been performing as an asset class. And that basically means that some, not all, but some of the uncertainty has been mitigated. And so there's less and less demand for a very high price cut. So that's what we see in the market. More deals, not that much, but more deals and one to 3% price cuts. That's the usual kind of deals that we see in the market right now. The interesting thing is that the process to close the deal is much faster than it was before COVID. So during July, basically, the process was once there's a deal out there, you see all the financial, you underwrite the deal, you run on the numbers, and then there's either no date and you know no final date to send your offers like it was before COVID. The broker just tells you, submit the offer and we'll get it to the seller. Or there's a final date, let's say three weeks from now, but the brokers are telling you, send your best offer. There's not going to be a second or third round like there usually is or was pre-COVID. We're not going to have some companies bid against one another. The seller is just going to look at all the offers that are going to be sent to them a few weeks from now, and he's just going to take the highest one and move forward. Now, this is important because I think the brokers are a little bit afraid of what's going to happen in the future, and they prefer to do everything much faster than it was before. So before COVID, you had about a month to submit your offer, and that was called the first round of LOI. Now, in the first round, the broker would recommend the seller who they should pick for the second round. Usually it's three to five groups with the highest bid or those who are very, very highly performing you know, in the market. And the seller would choose those three to five companies for the second round. And then the broker would tell you, hey, congratulations, you got into the best and final round. Now submit the final offer. So you always had to save something so you can increase the bid later. And usually there's a week before the two stages, and then you submit your final offer. And then once the best and final stage is over, then the seller chooses two to three groups and they interview them and then decide which one to give the deal to. But now this whole process is almost gone. So basically they're saying, just send us your best offer and we'll get it to the seller. And then if he picks you, we're going to call you and we can move forward. In my opinion, that's 
a better way of conducting business and, and buying real estate. I don't like, I personally don't like the game of, you know, send us what you think, but leave some room to increase the price a little bit more and then add it. So you're basically, you know, what am I sending you? Something that is maybe half a million less than what I think the property is worth just so I can add it later. I just gave you my final number and take it from there. But that's basically what's happening. And I mean, basically the whole process is much, much faster, which is personally something that I like because I don't like to take my time. Once I have the number of how much I can pay for the property, that's after I've done a lot of due diligence, I just want to move forward. I don't want to do the back and forth. So that's something that, you know, we've seen in the market. The last thing that I've seen that I've experienced is that surprisingly, and maybe not surprisingly, the big players, the big private equity and REITs and institutionals are generally sitting on a sideline. They are still waiting for the fire sale deals. They still don't feel comfortable buying properties. And it could be because they don't like value-add deals. So they don't like to buy a property, renovate the units, improve the exterior and sell it at a higher profit, you know, push rents and sell it at a higher price. They like the class A high-end buildings that are well-performing, that they're just going to take over and manage the same way, no major changes. That works for the most part with their general business plan and strategy. And I think they're definitely missing out on a lot here. And you know what's happening is that those deals are not working so much because of the uncertainty and because the fact that you can't really increase the income because you're not renovating the unit. And so right now, they can find deals that make sense to them. And so a lot of the three, four, five hundred units and above that are usually being bought by institutionals, right now there's not many buyers for those type of deals. And this is exactly the opportunity for companies like Blue Lake, like my company, because we are buying those large properties and we're not institutionals. We're not afraid, you know, to get our hands dirty and build a crew and run the bids and renovate the units and renovate, you know, the community and make it better. We like those things. We like this way of thinking, the strategy, because this is how we make money. And so this is where I see the opportunity with those large properties that institutionals are shying away from because pre-COVID, they would just take the property and keep managing it as is without renovating. And right now, if you're not willing to do that, then your margins are even smaller. So it doesn't make sense for them to do a deal for, I don't know, two or 3% cash on cash. And so that's what I see in the market. So definitely July, we've seen, you know, an increase in demand. We still see increase for demand in, you know, for units in general and for renovated units in particular, we have more people interested. And as I said, there are more deals out there. So it looks like there's some positive movement when it comes to the real estate market. But, you know, it's still a little bit early to know what's going to happen next month. And again, I'm going to post those episodes when I'm going to, you know, just share my knowledge with you every week. In addition to the regular episodes where I'm basically interviewing another guest. And well, after August, so during September, I'm going to post another market update. And this time I'm going to talk about what I've seen in August and how the market has changed, if it changed, and how, you know, our properties have been doing. 
So that's all for today, guys. Be bold, be great, and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.